All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined this week, as always, by my co-host, Brian Wells. In this week's episode, we'll be continuing our postseason coverage, talking about the NBA playoffs and the Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll talk about the Celtics, not looking great for them against the Nets, probably eliminated by the time you listen to this. We'll talk about the box sweep in the heat, the Knicks and their star players are struggling against the Hawks. And uh, we'll also talk about the two Los Angeles teams, Clippers and Lakers, and their hard-fought series with the Mavericks and Suns, respectively. On the hockey side, we'll be talking about the Bruins and their series with the New York Islanders, who they're facing because the Penguins uh, lost to them in the first round. We'll talk about all of that. We'll talk about the the North Division struggles, the Maple Leafs blowing a 3-1 to lead, the Oilers getting swept. We'll talk about the Avalanche and the Golden Knights, the long-awaited matchup in the West, as well as the Lightning and the Hurricanes, two of the more exciting teams taking on each other in the Central Division. From there, we have a lot of different topics to discuss to close out the episode. Some sports, some not sports, some of the bigger sports ones. We'll be talking about Phil Mickelson getting set to team up with Tom Brady in the match four following his PGA Championship victory. We'll talk about one of his opponents, Aaron Rodgers, and his situation with the Packers, Julio Jones's situation with the Falcons, as he seems to be uh, pretty much out the door potentially could be gone by the time you're listening to this one we'll talk about the indy 500 uefa champions league final french open so a lot of things to get to a lot of uh sports for everyone so with that let's get started talking more playoffs i guess you know real quickly before we get started how was your memorial day weekend um it was very quick and i did not do much to stay in uh, i did go to the celtics game on friday though if that counts as part of the weekend and i also got my second dose of the vaccine that same day there you on the go afternoon. i uh I spent it at my parents' lake house, and I was expecting really nice Memorial Day weekend weather, but it was like in the 50s and raining most of the time. Yeah, the weather was. Uh, yeah, the weather yeah, was really not lousy. not great, but still uh, still fun nonetheless. Exciting that you got your vaccine. We're ready for uh, vaccinated boy summer starting up. It's a uh, it's June. Happy Pride Month. Uh, you know, happy happy start of summer. It's a good good time to do a lot of fun stuff and uh we have a lot of sports to talk about so that'll certainly keep us busy and hey you were talking about going to the celtics game you went to the game game three where the celtics actually beat the nets and 
I mean, at the time of recording, they still haven't played game five, but I think that you and I are probably both on the same page that by the time people are listening to this, the Celtics playoff run will officially be over and the Brooklyn Nets will be on to the next round. Yeah, you were asking me if I wanted to do this on Wednesday because the Celtics the Nets game five was tonight. I'm like, I don't I don't want to see him get their ass kicked. <laughs> Have it be over. Yeah. I don't want I don't care about that. I rather I'd rather not see it happen and I'd rather just do this. Yeah, I mean, we'll probably be done recording by the time the game starts, but it's still, uh, I mean, it, I guess winning one game was kind of where I was like, okay, maybe the Celtics can win one. And you, like you said, you were there in person, you got to see it. So. Yeah, and I, 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 I texted you the dumb and dumber meme, so you're <laughs> telling me there's a chance, even though I know deep down, and you, you know as well that there is no chance, and that was before game four, and game four yeah i mean kinda as soon as kemba up, walker got ruled out and robert williams got ruled out for the game it was like all right there's no chance here romeo langford is starting like it's it's just uh it's unfortunate and i think that most celtics fans are kind of like all right the season's over when jalen brown was announced out for the season with just a few games left in the regular season and i, I don't know the fact that they got it this far i guess is kind of cool but the, the Celtics never stood a chance against the Nets in their big three, and they, they all showed up in game four. 104 combined points from Kevin Durant, uh, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. I think it's the most ever, or one of the most ever by a trio in a playoff game. And uh, the Nets are rolling right now. They were my pick to win the finals heading into the postseason, and based on what I've seen in the last four games, I'm not really uh, convinced otherwise. I, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I said that last time we were on, but I would have... I'm pretty I think sure you I said did. Brooklyn. Yeah. I don't. I don't At even least know coming not, out of the East. So yeah, I mean, I remember beginning of the year I said Lakers, Nets, but that was before the James Harden trade, and obviously I think differently after the Harden trade. Yeah, I mean they they're definitely on another level, and like when they want to be the best team in the league, they can do that. They just have to have to have some kind of motivation. I guess losing game three, which of course the one game that the Celtics win, Jason Tatum scored 50 points because that was the only way that the Celtics could win a game in this series if he just absolutely went off. And yeah, game four was just all three of those guys unreal. Uh, Kevin Durant at 42, I think Kyrie at 39 and 10, and James Harden at 23 points with 18 assists, like 18 assists for James Harden. So if he's able to do that, then it'll be tough for anybody in the league to stop this team. That's for sure. So I guess, um, you know, obviously Kyrie Irving was a big storyline in this series, has finally making his return to Boston, at least in front of fans, which seems kind of crazy to think about because he's been gone for almost two years now. And I know you were part of the, uh, you know, the chorus of boos that were directed toward him throughout game three. Game four was pretty much yeah, the same I, story. Yeah. When I went to game three, I did not pay money to watch the Celtics win. It, I mean, it was nice that they won. It's a miracle that they even won one game in this series. But I was I paid that money just to boo Kyrie. That's, that's all I was there <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, for. Yeah. And I'm sure I was, a lot of people at the same mindset. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, the. The story of this series definitely has not has nothing to do with what happened what what's happened on the court because we all knew that the Nets were gonna annihilate the Celtics. It's definitely what happened uh, after Game Two, going into Game Three, with Kyrie being asked about his return to to the TD Garden with uh, with fans there. Because if you remember back in October when Brooklyn was in not October, uh, December. I I don't remember which month it was, but uh, back in late 2020, when they had a road game 
uh, in Boston. Uh, he was saging the court, if you remember that, but that wasn't in front of any fans. It was just it was just an empty arena. And so his return to, to the TD Garden for Game 3 and 4, that's the first time in Boston with fans there. And when he was asked about it, he talked about how he wanted to keep it strictly to basketball. And uh, I, I didn't like how Kyrie brought race into the mix for a playoff game. And even Jalen Brown called him out, even though Jalen Brown's not playing, he even said that, uh, that he didn't like how it was brought into uh, a playoff game, which is, which I, I totally agree with. With Jaylen. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to say that Boston doesn't have a history of, uh, you know, racism toward. Yeah. I mean, particularly in the NBA. I mean, if you look at, uh, past moments. I mean, you remember Adam Jones of the Orioles, and uh, and his situation with fans, uh, and then you remember when Joel Ward of the Capitals he scored that goal in Game Seven to beat the Bruins, and there were definitely bad remarks on social media from from Bostonians and other places of New England and other Bruins fans, and yeah, so there have definitely been past moments, but. At the same time, it really wasn't like on anyone. It wasn't on anyone's mind until Kyrie brought it up, and I, I just I hate that he brought it up because it was really just a to deflect the. Uh, he used it as a deflection or a personal gain uh, more than anything, and and I'm not saying that Kyrie doesn't care about those issues, but I know deep down it was more for a personal gain, in my opinion. And I, I think that's totally fair to say because Boston fans were going to boo him regardless because, like, the reality is Kyrie Irving screwed over the Celtics in a lot of ways, not even just leaving to go play for the Nets, but while he was there, like, the Celtics were supposed to be this, like, next big team. They were, like, NBA Finals favorites or one of them. Following that 2018 season, he was injured, he was going to come back, and he just didn't live up to the expectations, and then... Uh, you know, heading into the season, he made those comments about, I want to re-sign here if you'll have me back, got everyone excited, and the, the season didn't go that well, and he wound up bolting. Uh, so it's it na- natural that Celtics fans are not a fan of Kyrie Irving. They wouldn't welcome him back, you know, give him a standing ovation. Thanks for the memories. That just was never a thing. So uh, I definitely understand the frustration from both Celtics players and Celtics fans yeah, with and, Kyrie trying to make it more than after. basketball. Yeah, and then after game four, when Kyrie went off for 30-plus points, he decides to stomp or wipe his shoe on the Celtics logo. And as a fan, I just look at it as corny, lame. I mean, like I don't personally care, but I, I do kind of wish that Celtics players responded to that. Or maybe, who knows, maybe they will in game five. I don't know, but I feel like there isn't enough... Uh, pushback from those guys I feel like a lot of those guys like including Tatum and Smart are they side with Kyrie and not the Celtics I I don't know if you feel that way but I know KG Big Baby Cedric Maxwell and a lot of other guys who are not on the team who are part of that as well yeah who did not like what Kyrie did and and I I don't know I, I just wish that they had the players on the on the team right now sort of had that same mentality and dislike towards Kyrie. No, and I agree with that. I think that's something that players, when you you see something like that, that's something you want to respond to. I mean, I just think back to when 
Terrell Owens celebrated on the Cowboys star, a Cowboys player came in and shoved him and that it started this whole thing. Like there wasn't that, that like they weren't going to tolerate that level of disrespect toward their team's logo. And I think it would have been nice to see a Celtics player do that. But uh, the reality is none of them did. And it's not a fan's responsibility to, you know, take action there. And I, I hate that there are some Celtics fans who are trying to excuse a guy throwing a water bottle at Kyrie Irving yeah. because he stomped on the logo. Like how, I don't know. I really think those two are unrelated. That's just probably, me. I, I mean, th- it's probably just a drunk the, Celtics fan who, yeah, I think it was just some drunk douche who decided to just throw the water bottle at Kyrie just cause he doesn't like him. And I don't think he saw Kyrie stomping on the logo and said, Oh, I'm going to, chuck my chuck my water bottle at him and, <laughs> yeah and i mean i don't know I'm, i wouldn't it. be surprised if that that did play a role but yeah i mean it's fans are just wilding out they just don't know how to act now that they can be back in arenas for the first time in over a year there's been five incidents already and we've the the, 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 the popcorn yeah the so. popcorn with westbrook and then someone ran on into the, the arena in game four of that same series as well and yeah the Fans are definitely yeah throwing control. popcorn at Russell Westbrook. I mean, the yeah that's harassing John Morant's parents. Like it's it's just been crazy. There's just been so much stuff that has gone on, and I think that in the case of like the Celtics fan attacking Kyrie Irving, that's one where it's like okay, like that un- is not saying that is justifiable or anything, but like you kind of understand like the Celtics specific hatred toward Kyrie Irving. Some of these are just so random. Like you mentioned, the fan walking running onto the court. Like what are you doing? Like after everything has happened, you're trying to one up everybody. Like does who can do like the craziest thing um it's just yeah it's kind of ridiculous right now and I'm, I'm like nervous that this is going to lead to a lot of issues when it comes to fans being back at arenas like if there's any kind of action that's going to happen because I know that the players are not happy about all this stuff that's happening like they don't want to be harassed they don't want to be attacked they don't want to have to worry about their family going to games on the road and stuff so uh, my hope is that you know we can continue to watch sports games as much as uh, you know we we did pre-pandemic, but I don't know if there's going to be any kind of limitations or you know different changes. And I I think particularly it would happen in the case of like alcohol and stuff at games because I'm sure that's the biggest factor in this. I mean, the water bottle incident really ruined it for me and thousands of other Celtics fans out there because, as you know, I'm. A huge Kyrie hater. <laughs> yeah. And yep. like I said earlier, I hate that he brought up the race topic. And it looked like after, once game four ended, it looked like that uh, topic was going to die down. But then all of a sudden, the guy throws the water bottle. And once Kyrie sees that, he's like, see, see, I told you these guys. Right? Mm-hmm. I told you about these Boston fans. And I, I hate that that incident added fuel to Kyrie's point and I don't I don't agree with Kyrie but it's like perception is reality in this moment uh in this case where like people are going to perceive Celtics fans as racist because of that well not just that one moment but it certainly doesn't help. No, not at all. Like when when Celtics fans, you know, spend the past few days trying to, you know, deny different accusations and try to say that hey, it's it's not who we are. This isn't us. And then someone does that. Like absolutely. It just it reflects poorly on everyone and it's uh it's it's definitely frustrating because you know, when you when you look at it, it like obviously it's not 100% are bad people probably nowhere close to that but even if it's just 10 percent, like that that 
10% is just overwhelming and it's it's definitely frustrating and I, I think there needs to be a lot of commitment to change and obviously this isn't the only incident that's happened Celtics fan that threw a water bottle isn't it's just a bullet point on the Wikipedia page of fan incidents during the postseason but it's it's just a bad reflection on uh, you know Celtics fans in general absolutely and uh, very frustrating that 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 happened. So either way, though, I'm glad that fans are back. No, oh, absolutely. Like we're we're getting back to normalcy. Still. Yes, of course. You know, hopefully we uh, we figure out how to behave ourselves. You know, at, at eventually. You know, I, I would hope that that fan running onto the court is kind of the last straw. We just need, honestly, we probably need another runner test moment. Just another malice at the palace because fans are just too cocky right now. That, that that's the only way that'll get this to stop. I think. I'd like to see it happen. All right, let's uh so let's move on to the next big series. So the Brooklyn Nets, assuming they won last night or you know finish off the series, win one of the last three games. I not really paying too much uh, mind to the possibility that the Celtics could make this comeback. So the the assumption is the Nets will move on and they'll be taking on the Milwaukee Bucks now. Heading into the postseason, you and I both agreed that at least of the four series that were decided before the play-in games that the Bucks and the Heat were the most intriguing series. These are two teams that played in the bubble last year. Uh, Miami wound up winning in four game or five games five despite games, being yeah. the five seed Bucks were the number one team all season. A lot of questions. All right, now that we're in a more normal playoff environment with travel, with fans, you're not just in a bubble in Florida. What's going to happen? Well, after game one, the box pulled it out, close victory, uh, game winner, Chris Middleton with less than a second to go in overtime. It's like, all right, this could be a good series. And then the Bucks just promptly went on to win three in a row, and none of them were really all that close. A couple of blowouts in there. So Milwaukee advances in four games. So I guess the first question is, does this officially make the Heat bubble frauds, or is this more about Milwaukee and maybe them being a better team than they were last season, or at least in that moment? If I had to, if I had to pick, I'd probably lean with the Heat being frauds. I mean, I don't think, I mean, me or me, you or anyone else, I don't think many people had the Miami Heat not only making the NBA Finals, but they not even getting past Milwaukee. And I mean, it's a credit to them, but it's just at the same time, it's just look at the talent on their roster. And I like Jimmy Butler. I definitely uh, gained more respect for him after what happened in the bubble. And the play, the kind of player he is, and Adebayo is definitely a good big man. But after that, it's definitely a drop off. And then look at Tyler Hero. I mean, he looked yeah. he, he looked like a stud in the bubble, and now yeah. he, he looks like he's just any sort of any other kind of role player. No, he's he's definitely taken a step back this season because he was playing really well before the bubble. Obviously, made a name for himself when he got there, but. This, uh, I mean, I think it's a little combination of both because the Heat definitely, um, you know, they they had some issues this season. I know Jimmy Butler missed a lot of time with COVID earlier in the year. I just don't think that they were able to get things totally together. Um, but at the same time, Milwaukee adding Drew Holiday has turned out to be a huge addition, and I think that they they kind of have this big three if you will combining him with Giannis and Chris Middleton to the point where Milwaukee is just a better team than we think about I think the fact that they're a three seed you know they 
heading into the season, I was really high on them. And then Brooklyn added James Harden. The 76ers wanted putting it all together under Doc Rivers. And Milwaukee just felt like this kind of forgotten team. And I think that's what really added a lot of intrigue to the series. So the fact that they came out and swept Miami, uh, it definitely says something about the Heat and their run last season. But I think it also just says, hey, let's not forget about the Milwaukee Bucks. This is a really good basketball team that can certainly put up a fight at the very least with Brooklyn in the next round. Do you think it helps that there's, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not even asking you. I think it does help that there's less pressure on them this year compared to Absolutely. past years. Mm-hmm. Cause weren't they, haven't they been a one seed the past two seasons? I'm pretty sure they're the best record in basketball the last two seasons. So yeah, like they've come in to the bubble and even the year before that, where they were right up there when it came to the favorites to win it all. So yeah, and and then they lose to Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors, and then last year they of course lost to the lost to the Heat and Jimmy Butler in the Heat. So mm-hmm. I think I, I like to think that they're equipped to handle Brooklyn because I will certainly be rooting for the Bucks. Yeah, I I I mean I I'm a big fan of Giannis. I've I've always loved him. So. Uh, I think it would be cool to see Milwaukee take them out and you know go on a run this year. He's really one of the few. He's really one of the few superstars. Maybe w- the only superstar that doesn't have that like a diva-ish kind of uh, personality. If uh, looking at the other superstars around the league, I don't know. Says a lot that he's willing to sign an extension in Milwaukee of all cities. Yeah, uh, and then I guess one last point on this: Did you see the uh, the Bucks Twitter? their their post after they pulled off the the victory (laughs) so they i did not um i'm gonna pull it up here i forget the exact wording i think it was just good night hashtag heat twitter and um it was just a compilation of a bunch of like heat fans in their replies just saying oh the heat are gonna win heat in five like oh remember the bubble all this stuff and then it just progressively gets what is happening like why are we losing all these games and then they they end up they're done i think it was hilarious how they did that because instead of just you know calling out like the talking heads in the media they're going directly at heat fans and their mentions so that's pretty great especially just given how much of a bandwagon fan base that yeah. especially <laughs> oh, if you remember absolutely. game six of the finals when ray allen made that tying three and then you just see all the oh they were all to, leaving trying before to get it. back yep. in yeah <laughs> yeah yeah right um yeah so that, i thought that was pretty cool i'll certainly be rooting for them moving forward uh speaking of moving forward let's move on our next nba first round series sticking in the east the knicks and the hawks and uh, this is another one that I think you and I are both intrigued by just because, you know, the Knicks in the playoffs for the first time in almost a decade. The Hawks were a team that we haven't seen in the playoffs in a few years as they've been under a rebuild. Trey Young's first time in the postseason, and he's certainly played very well, and he's done something that the Knicks stars haven't done, which is help his team win games because Julius Randle is... It has not been a great performance following his most improved player of the season. 27% from the floor. I don't know how much of it is him just not having anything left after uh, playing a ton of minutes under Tom Thibodeau, but it's looking like it's only a matter of time I, before the I, next I playoff think, run is done. I think I remember bringing that up, that playing for Tom Thibodeau, you if you're a star player, you're going to play more minutes than you probably should. He definitely uh, goes hard for... Uh, the, the star players on his teams that he coaches. So, yeah, it's probably a little bit of maybe inexperience in the playoffs and, yeah, maybe a little bit of fatigue and maybe just not having the greatest supporting cast because 
Uh, the Hawks definitely are a, a def. They definitely have more depth on their team than the Knicks do. Oh yeah, I mean the the biggest difference is the fact that I guess when you look at the Knicks supporting cast, so Julius Randle is has to be the number one guy. R.J. Barrett is playing in his first playoff series. Derrick Rose, he's had his moments in this series. Where he's kind yeah, of he's also, like his old self. But yeah, he's he's also ancient. He's not the same player that he was back in the day. Uh, and when you look at the Hawks, like yeah, it's. Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter, even John Collins is younger, but Bogdan Bogdanovich, Clint Capella, those are guys who they've been around. Danilo Gallinari, he certainly has a lot of postseason experience. Even some of the guys coming off the bench, like Lou Williams, of course, has a lot of postseason experience. So I think that's really helped this Hawks team. It's kind of given them that edge and just having those guys step up. I mean, Bogdanovich only had 12 points in game four, but there are four huge three-pointers, one right at the end of the quarter to put Atlanta up 17, give them all the momentum heading into the fourth, and that was all they needed to be able to pull this one out. So that's why I was really high on Atlanta coming into the series because, like you said, that depth, you know, a lot of those guys, they had a lot more experience. And not to say that the Knicks can't turn it around, that they're not, you know, one superstar away from being an actual threat, but... This is uh, really just you could tell Knicks Knicks and their fans. You could just tell happy to you could tell the the Hawks definitely have the edge and not only depth oh, but yep. also experience. Yep. So uh, you know, game five last night, I guess uh, you know we don't know what's going to happen in this one. I I think that the Knicks can at least win one at home to keep this extended, but I think it's only a matter of time before the Hawks pull it out. Though Atlanta three to one series lead it's uh you don't have to go back very far to when the the Braves had a three to one lead over the Dodgers in the NLCS just to be reminded of uh the that city and their postseason collapses and failures so I mean you're talking about three to one and you go to I know it I know it's Atlanta the Atlanta Braves so I know that's why you referred to them but I mean three to one just look back at 2016 where oh no I know it certainly happens in the (laughs) NBA but it's just like Atlanta is like a city where it's like if if any any city is gonna you know you're gonna be like oh this is far from over it would be Atlanta and the the Hawks and then it's it's also funny that you picked the Atlanta Braves and not the Falcons as the as well, because the Braves literally had a three to one lead last right. season. I, Obviously, I know what the you Falcons mean. Just... have their own postseason collapses, right? It's we don't need to get into how tortured the Atlanta fan base is. Uh, but yeah, I mean, well, I what, think wait, that's, what about that's their the saving grace? Wait, what? what about their hockey? Oh, that's right. Yeah, right. They don't well, have a hockey team. Yeah, losing the Thrashers. What's that like? The forty third worst thing to happen to the city of Atlanta in the last you know twenty years. Like there, there's. That was their fourth team. They don't really care about them. Like, they've yeah, had too many sports failures of the teams they actually care about to worry about losing the Thrashers. Yeah, Atlanta Pro Sports is not the best. No, no, definitely not. So I guess that's the one one reason why I'm not officially going to say that the Hawks are moving on to the next round. And uh, the expectation is that whoever does end up winning the series, whether it's the Hawks finishing off the Knicks or the Knicks making a comeback, so they'll face the 76ers. And the Sixers, I, I was expecting a sweep last night. Joel Embiid got hurt. He's already listed as doubtful for game five. That would be a horrible loss for Philly. And, I mean, I think that the Sixers are a better team this year, but we saw last season, at least in the bubble environment, when they lost Ben Simmons, they were a team that should have been able to compete with the Celtics, and they just got blown out of the water because they weren't fully healthy. And I think it would be kind of a disaster if that were to happen to them. No Embiid. He's an MVP candidate this season. I still think they'll win one of their last three games against the Wizards, but we could be staring at an Atlanta Hawks Eastern Conference Finals berth if uh, the worst news comes for Embiid. See, I, I like how 
the Embiid injury, you're you're concerned about the their matchup with Washington and their maybe their possible upcoming matchup with Atlanta. I all I care about is can someone just take out Brooklyn? <laughs> and <laughs> I feel like even as down as I've been on Philly over the past several years, I feel like this has been their best team with the star oh, players yeah. that they've had. And a lot of it, of course, has to do with the coaching change uh, for moving on from Brett Brown to, to Doc Rivers. And and they also have, when Embiid is healthy, they have plenty of size. And Brooklyn, as great as they are with their three-star players, I mean, Blake Griffin is just trash at this point and can't get a rebound or just do anything. So I think they, I think Philly, uh, when healthy, if they were to meet, they would have the edge uh, uh, on the glass. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about that. I know I'm moving too far ahead, but <laughs> no, I mean, that's, like that's too much on my mind. That could absolutely <laughs> be an Eastern Conference Finals matchup. So uh, and uh, yeah, if there's no Joel Embiid or even if he's playing at less than 100, percent then that would certainly impact Philly's chances of being able to not just you know beat Brooklyn, but really compete with any of these top teams and uh, you know finally get to the finals and win a finals. So, uh, you know, you just said, like, obviously you're anyone but Brooklyn, at least in the Eastern Conference. I, the Nets certainly aren't my, my first choice, but they're not my last choice. Uh, I don't want to see the Lakers win the finals again. And they're, uh, they're certainly in a, a tough spot in their series with the Phoenix Suns in the first round. That one's even 2-2. Two to two. And really the biggest story right now is that Anthony Davis is injured. Um I believe he's still is, just is he unlikely to out? play. That's what I was wondering. I think he's just unlikely to play. I was that's, googling it earlier. Yeah, that's the last report I saw as well. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, see I assume another, he's not going to play tonight. It's yeah, a hamstring it, injury. So yeah, it, it's probably more like more likely than it's 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 unlikely that he plays. If I had to guess right now. So I guess given that. What are your expectations right now for this series? Assuming that he doesn't play Game Five, but comes back Game Six, uh, I'm, I think the Suns have to win this game because Definitely. I'd imagine I'd imagine I think they have that, to win whether or not he plays. I mean, I don't think that they uh, want well, to go to that's LA true too, but, in an but I feel like they game. really have to take advantage of this game if Davis is out because I'd imagine that they'd be favorite in that game uh, if Davis were out, and I'd imagine. Anthony Davis would at least come back uh, in the series, whether if it's Game Six or a game or Game Seven, if if they force it to a Game Seven. Uh, yeah, so I I think Phoenix has to win tonight. I think it is a must-win game. I mean, based on how the four games in the series have played out, when Anthony Davis is playing and he's playing really well, the Lakers are going to beat the Suns. The Suns just they can't if they can't stop Anthony Davis, then they can't win. But in game one, when DeAndre Ayton totally owned Anthony Davis, the Suns pulled out the win. And then in game four, he was struggling before he got hurt. He was only two for nine with six points. And then without him, the the Lakers' big man drop is just so significant going from Anthony Davis playing a ton of minutes to having to play Pau Gasol, Montrezl Harrell, and Andre Drummond. They just None of those guys can compete with DeAndre Ayton, especially with Chris Paul healthy. I think that's really the key right now is what are we going to see of Anthony Davis at this point? Because if he gets back to 100% for a Game 7, even in Phoenix, I feel like I would like LeBron and the Lakers' chances. But if that injury is going to end up you know, keeping him out or keeping him from being the great player that he can be, then it's only a matter of time before the Suns close us out. 
Yeah, I'm not going to act like I've watched every single game start to finish of this series, but the game I watched the most was Game 4. And when Anthony Davis was confirmed out for the rest of the game, DeAndre Ayton, he looked great out there. And part of me wonders if it's because... If it's because it's Anthony Davis is out, or if he's just putting in that much effort, or he just looks that dominant, I'm, it's probably a combination of both. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that he and, and with Chris without Paul Anthony back, Davis, he's the best big man in the series. Yeah. So and it's it it's also huge that Chris Paul stays healthy because when yeah he got limited minutes in, I think it was Game Three, Game Game. Yeah, three. It was it. I want to say it was Game Three. Yeah. Um, I, I think the the Lakers won one of those games by a lot that he just didn't need to be on the floor by the end of it. But yeah, I mean he was he was clearly not a hundred percent healthy in yeah. those first few games. Yeah, when he got the minutes restriction, all I'm thinking is, all right, geez, the Lakers are just going to blow this team out, and the Suns just have no chance, and mm-hmm. and feel bad for any Suns fan getting excited for them because <laughs> they're a two seed and they yeah. get they end up with the defending champions as their as their matchup and. Uh, they yeah, Chris Paul definitely needs to stay healthy as well. So I guess the series probably just comes down to who can stay on the floor. Yeah, I, I think that'll be a big part of it. I'm also like interested to see what happens with Devin Booker at this point. Uh, he he did all right in Game Four, but uh, I don't think he's really gone off in any of these games yet, has he? I doubt it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm, 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 looking, like total... I'm just looking now at like the leading scorers in Game Three. Aiton had 22, so Booker had fewer than that. I don't remember him doing anything crazy in Game One. I know the story was all about DeAndre Aiton. So um, Booker did have 34 in Game One. So yeah, if he can play like that again, then I think that's huge for the Suns. Otherwise, it's uh, I think it's gonna be tough if they're just entirely relying on Aiton and Paul. They really need that third guy, especially with a healthy Anthony Davis. If it gets to that, I mean, point. hasn't Devin Booker been actually their best player as well this year? Uh, yeah, I mean, throughout the whole season, I'm just talking about this series. You're like, just talking about awesome this series, how, one. Yeah, how I mean, the series like, played out. Just he's a guy; he's an elite scorer. Like, there's right. no arguing that. And I think that he needs to to put points on the board, um, especially if it comes down to a game seven for Phoenix to you know really pull this one out. So, um, let's uh, you know, let's let's keep it moving here with um, the other Los Angeles team. So the the Clippers. They lose two at home to the Dallas Mavericks. I thought they were dead after that, but they went out and won games three and four in Dallas. Game four, they won it in a blowout. And now this series is even two to two as we head back to Los Angeles for game five. And I guess one thing, you know, if you do you have any like individual points you want to make about this series, um, you know, I, I'm sure. No, not. <laughs> Not really. I mean, it's concerning that Doncic is not yeah, healthy that's, right now. Yeah, I think that's the big and, story right and, now with the Clippers winning is that Doncic has not been himself. And another thing is Porzingis. I, I, I really liked him when he was in in New York. I thought he was a stud there, but now he's in Dallas and he's playing second fiddle to Doncic. And I don't know. He just not the same player. I don't know what it. He, I don't know if it's injured. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he just can't stay healthy. I think it's part of it. He played really well in the bubble last year. I know a big reason why Dallas wasn't able to pull out that series was because he got injured. But I know that there's been a lot of frustration, especially early in the season when the Mavericks were struggling about you know whether Porzingis was the right guy for this team. Uh, I saw a lot of different trade proposals involving him. So... Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's absolutely a, a valid point. A lot of frustration of whether Porzingis is really the number two guy here. And 
Uh, I guess, you know, given that, so let's, you know, kind of taking it back to the Lakers as well, which LA team do you think is under the most pressure to, you know, and pull out this first round series and move on to the next round, the Clippers I mean, the or Clip- the Lakers? Clippers. I mean, okay, use that. I, with, I mean, I, yeah. know, I know it's too e- this is too easy of a of an answer. I'm surprised like, you think I, it's that easy. Well, it's just that like the Lakers, they won last year, and it'd be understandable if they lost, just given their health right now. But the Clippers, yeah, they were they were the most disappointing team in the bubble last year. Give just when you factor in their talent and their end result, they they. They should have gone. Far. They should have made it to at least the Western Conference Finals last yeah, year. Yeah, I mean they were definitely it's, the most disappointing team in the West. You know, it's them in the box were the the two big ones. I guess. Well, the, just, the argument for the Lakers is like, okay, if they can't win a playoff series, like they're just like the Heat. They're also bubble frauds. I I don't think that's well the, fair because yeah, they've had all these injury issues and the fact that Anthony Davis is now hurt. I think that's a reasonable thing. I agree. That's the Clippers. The Clippers okay, well, need it's just to that win. If but. the Lakers lost, okay, move on the next season. You still got LeBron. You still got Davis. Maybe add some other guys. But if the Clippers lose, there are questions of, all right, do we have to trade Paul George or do we have to bring in another guy to make a big three? There'd be more I'm pretty questions. sure Kawhi can opt be, out. I think he has a player option. That's another thing. Yeah, and so there are way more questions. There'd be way more questions surrounding the Clippers in the offseason than the Lakers if they were to lose. Uh, in the first round yeah I mean I agree with you I I I don't know that I totally agree with the argument because like the Lakers won the finals last year even if you know we we have this they they lose in the first round and we can start saying things like how illegitimate it was we've been saying that for the last year like anyway I've I've been saying that LeBron's three six and one in the finals like it's not going to change whether or not they win this playoff series and and calling it a AAU tournament yeah a glorified AAU tournament yep um, yeah, no, it's, I, I absolutely agree. The Clippers have to win this series. And I, I said going into the, the playoffs that I, I didn't trust them. And I, I thought there was a lot of bad juju and the fact that they intentionally lost games to avoid the Lakers as long as possible. And I, I thought I was being proven right after those first two games. At this point, I think that the Clippers are going to pull it out just when you factor in health. And uh, I think that's a huge storyline for a lot of these playoff teams and a lot of these series. But the you know just winning a first round playoff series against the Mavericks is not enough for the Clippers like they really need to go on this deep run because there's a lot of questions about this team future and I know that it's not going to end well if this team does not stay in the playoffs for a long time all right so I guess uh that's pretty much all we have in terms of the NBA you know we talked about the Sixers Wizards things a little bit the other two West series the trailblazers nuggets and the jazz grizzlies how much of those series have you even watched honestly barely any of it yeah like 10 total minutes probably for me like i i turned on so game four for trailblazers nuggets was during the day i turned it on and they like the nuggets were already getting blown out as portland was i think up by like 20 at halftime they ended up winning the game by 20 so it's like all right this isn't even worth paying attention to uh, it's it's kind of disappointing because both of those teams, I said it coming in, they're both like exciting, fun teams where you're like, maybe they can go on a run, win a couple playoff series, but their uh, their ceilings are just so low for a variety of reasons. And Denver is unfortunate because no Jamal Murray. Yeah, especially the Nuggets because of no Jamal Murray. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, in terms of Utah and Memphis, I mean, the, the Jazz lost game one without Donovan Mitchell. They've won three in a row. They seem to be playing really well right now, and it's it, that's just the case. They're, all these games are on so late. Like, they're just, it's just not worth staying up for them. Like, Mike Conley playing in a first-round playoff series against his former team. You know, he's one of the greatest Memphis Grizzlies players of all time, and I feel like that storyline hasn't even been talked about because it's just such an uninteresting I totally city. forgot that he played for, right? <laughs> for the Grizzlies. Yeah. And I, I, mean, I get honestly, it. Like he's not their best player or anything, but like it's, it's, it's. I mean, what the number eight out of all eight series, probably like in terms of interest level. It's just, I mean, they're they're two boring teams, and it's a three to one series lead for Utah. Yeah, I mean, so I, it's boring teams, and you know who's gonna win. So why? And and it's on the West Coast at times. So <laughs> like, why? Yeah. Why bother tuning it? And yeah, it is hard to to watch some of these games when it's a a weekday and they're being played at ten. That's and that's why I said the the game in the the Suns Lakers series, the one I watched the most was Game Four because it was yeah, on a weekend. A, yeah, three thirty on a Sunday. Yeah, three thirty on a Sunday. So just yep. that's why it was easy to watch that game. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I um I don't plan on staying up all night to watch the Suns Lakers Game Five. So if uh. You know, whatever happens, I'll, I'll be learning about it uh, at the same time as most people, and that's in the morning when I wake up. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's wrap up the NBA talk. Let's move on to the NHL, and let's start in the East Division. Boston Bruins taking on the New York, New York Islanders one to one series. New York winning game two in overtime, four to three. And look, I'll be the first to say the Islanders are a really good team. And if the Bruins lose to them, that's nothing to hang your hat at. They're just a team of destiny right now. And uh, they are ready to make a run after beating a great Penguins team in the first round. And, uh, you know, that's that's it. It'll say a lot if the Bruins end up winning the series, right? Because the Islanders are probably the, the best team in the league right now. I mean, I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't go far that far for that last point there. But no, the Islanders are definitely a a really gritty team. I mean, when you look at their roster, uh, comparing them to Pittsburgh, uh, I mean, I picked the Islanders in that series, but not because of the talent on the roster. Because the talent, I would definitely favor towards Pittsburgh. But the Islanders are such a gritty, well coached team that I have I have to take them seriously, even if they don't have the star power that these other teams have, but they're just a relentless team that knows how to compete uh, at this time of the year. And they haven't been to a Stanley cup final in in a while or anything like that, but they did make the East semis two years ago. And then in the bubble, they made it all the way to the East finals. So they definitely have uh, increased playoff experience uh, at this time of the year. So they're, even though they don't have the star power, they're definitely a team that, I would I take seriously, and I think the series with the Bruins, uh, I think can go six or seven. And another thing, the Islanders Penguin series, I was watching. I, I watched a lot of that series, and especially Game Five when it went into double overtime. And up until that point, I was thinking to myself, I'd definitely rather face the Islanders than the Penguins, just given the Penguins' top end talent. But then when I, once I saw Tristan Jari just hand the puck over to Josh Bailey for the game-winning goal. That was the moment where I said, I'd, I'd rather face Pittsburgh than the Highlanders. Yeah, I mean, he I, was I, awful. I think that is a totally fair thing to say. You know, every year 
the everyone is always down on the Islanders, not only to make the playoffs, but they find a way to win a playoff series or two. And in this case, they found a way to win mostly because of the poor play of Tristan Jari and goal. Now, not not every game was his fault. He played really well in game two after being awful in game one, which we, we talked about on the podcast. But yeah, game five, just a horrible mistake in overtime. And then in game six, five goals gave up. It was every time the Penguins scored, he'd just allow a goal right away. And he wound up giving up two goals in 13 seconds to turn a 3-2 lead into a 4-3 deficit. Uh, just really never never stood a chance, and it's it's a frustrating way for the Penguins to lose. I don't know what's going to happen from here. I don't know if you know Evgeny Malkin or Chris Letang is going to be traded. If the team is going to do any kind of a you know rebuild here, but I certainly hope Tristan Jari is not expected to be the team's number one goalie next season because they they just they can't bring him back after that. I, I don't know how they could do that, how they could say we're still gonna try to win with Sidney Crosby and, you know, whoever else they decide to keep of that core and have Jari be the team's number one goaltender. Yeah, but with with that being said, uh I still like the Bruins in this series versus the Islanders. Again, even though the Islanders are a really gritty team, I I think the Bruins just have way too too much talent on their roster to not win this series, especially their first line. The the Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak line has been really dominant throughout this postseason, dating back to the Washington series. But I do have some concerns with the Bruins at the moment. They definitely commit, still commit too many dumb penalties. They have three too many men on the ice penalties. It's just really a penalty, like just in this series or the whole. No, like in the throughout the postseason, okay. three throughout the post. Too many yeah, men on the ice. That's that's a penalty that just shouldn't happen. Ever. Yeah, I, feel like, I mean, honestly, that's probably the dumbest penalty you can commit. It, like, it is, yeah. And other concerns I have right now at the moment is uh, the injuries on their roster right now. Craig Smith, he missed game two, and that was costly because they had to move up Jake DeBrusque to the second line, and he's just not good. <laughs> I I liked him yeah. a lot in his rookie season, but after, ever since then, he's been a huge disappointment. And another another reason to be concerned is also Tuca right now. I mean, he's been great, but he's also dealing with a, a, a nagging back injury that could be a cause for concern uh, for the rest of the series and, and for the rest of the playoffs if they were to move on to the future rounds. And uh, another thing is I'm also concerned about their uh, their defense, their decor right now, because after McAvoy and Carlo, I, I don't have a lot of confidence uh, and the rest of their decor, especially Jeremy Lozon. I don't know if you saw the the overtime goal by the Islanders yeah. yesterday, but he just straight up just turns o- the puck over, and Sezikis ends up getting the game winning goal. And it and it wasn't just that play that Jeremy Lozon gave had a had a bad turnover. It was or a bad made a bad play. He he kind of well, it hit a skate on the first goal. I mean, shit happens, whatever. But the second goal was also kind of his fault. So three of the four goals were on him. And a crazy stat that I saw, Jeremy Lozon. So he he missed four of the five games in the Washington series. And so he's logged- Is it because of injury? Yeah, because of injury. So he's logged the least amount of minutes of their top six defensemen. He's, He's given up seven goals against, though. So he's given up the most goals. Seven he's been goals on the in just three games. Yeah, like so he's been on the ice for the... <laughs> he has the most goal against of all the defensemen. He's been that's, on the yeah, ice for bad. three of the seven. That's just brutal. 
I mean, yeah. so they, they got to find a way to take him out. Uh, they have a guy named Jared Tenori, who's a a, a defenseman that uh, is, was a healthy scratch for most of this postseason. I would like to see him back over Lozon. So I definitely have concerns right now for the Bruins uh, in this series, but I, I still think they should win. Yeah, this definitely feels like a series that will go six or seven, uh, a series that the Bruins should win. But when you're talking to the Islanders, it's there's a lot of times where you say the Islanders shouldn't win a series and they still do end up pulling it out. Um, I, I think that it'll really kind of come down to just, I guess, you know, the Bruins defense in one part of it. But a lot of it is just is that Bruins first line just able to be dominant enough in enough games to just overwhelm the Islanders because New York and their, their defense is a big part of it. Just their defensive philosophy. Yeah. And, they're uh, definitely the Penguins a... had a lot of chances in a few of those games, especially in game five, they just couldn't convert. So if, if the Bruins can take advantage of those opportunities where New York kind of lets them control things, then uh, I think that the Bruins can, can pull this out. They're definitely a very defensive oriented team, but they also have good players uh, on offenses, offensive as well with Josh Bailey and Anthony Bavillier, and then Matthew Barzal, who I, I, I'm a huge fan of him as a player, but what I hate is that in the 2015 draft, uh, I'm going to, I'm will never pretend to be an NHL scout, but the Bruins had the 13th, 14th and 15th overall pick in that draft after making a lot of trades. And he was a guy that was a potential top 10 pick. And he was, not McDavid in that draft, of course, but he was like that next tier of centers uh, in that draft. And I wanted the Bruins to get him so badly. And they did not take him with the 13th, 14th, or 15th overall pick. And all three of those guys have not panned out whatsoever. They're either not in the NHL or they're healthy scratches or they're Jake DeBrusque, who is just not good. And Matthew Barzal was taken with the 16th pick yeah, in I, that I draft by the that. Islanders. And yeah. that not... Years later, that moment when he got drafted with the very next pick, I knew <laughs> that was going to be a disaster. Yeah, uh, so yeah, he's been he's been awesome. Did he do anything in the first two games? Because he didn't even score in the no. So he hasn't series. scored yet, but he def I definitely noticed him just given how fast how how fast of a skater he is and how much of a difference he makes uh, off- offensively. So feels like I'm, he's sure, due. I'm sure it's a matter of time that he scores and yeah, just makes that draft look just so bad <laughs> yeah worse and worse by the day all right let's uh let's move on and talk about the north division and i feel like this is one where you're gonna be uh maybe a little happier i guess it's it's tough uh you know where do we start do we talk with i, I feel like you gotta talk about the toronto maple Leafs no, first because yeah, they, they no, just you, that's, lost that's exactly where you start yeah. yeah i know the so i know as a bruins fan yeah of course i'm gonna hate the canadians but i i I find more joy in seeing the Maple Leafs lose, just given how awful they are uh, as a team uh, at this time of the year. They haven't won a playoff series since 2004. And in that span, that is 6,250 days. And ever since then, they have also been in 44 playoff games. And they've lost three game sevens to the Bruins. So... Mm -hmm. They they were gonna avoid the avoid the Bruins this year just given the playoff format. So you think at you think this, this would be their chance? Be the this would be this the time to, to finally it. advance, especially yep. facing Montreal, who's really not that great of a team. They were the sixteenth of- out of sixteen teams to make the the postseason. They're the only playoff team who didn't have at least sixty points. Yeah, it, that's not a team that you should lose to. I know Gallagher and Toffoli and a couple other guys are good, but 
you should you sh- you definitely should have won that series. Is even without John Tavares I, I, after his brutal injury, even without him, you should still win that series. And especially when you go up three to one, like all you have to do is win one of those last three games. So I guess, how do you think this compares? So you did mention, you know, the three game seven losses, the 2013 one was a bad one, four to one lead with 11 minutes ago, end up losing in overtime, two goals in the last minute and a half with an empty net. How do you think this compares like this three to one collapse to Montreal to that four to one game seven loss? The the four to one game seven, I think is still the, the worst one for Toronto, the 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 one that gives me the most joy, though. But yeah, sure. I think I think the three to one is the second worst, or right, not I, far behind. And you can make a case if you if you it's, think it's worse. I don't than know. Go ahead. I yeah. think it's almost worse because I guess in the in the game seven against Boston, that was their first time making the playoffs in a decade. Like obviously, that is a brutal collapse in just a single game but in this one when when the Maple Leafs I think maybe it's just because of how bad things have been since then you know you talked about losing the last three playoff series they lost two game sevens to the Bruins last year they lost game five and a best of five to Columbus to blow back-to-back games like that when you have a three to one lead thinking all right this is finally it and then in game seven at home you win, you lose three to one with a one goal coming with like a minute left in the game. You're just not even there for game seven. Like, I, I don't know. I, I almost think that this is worse. But a lot of that is just given how bad things have been. Like, maybe if you just compare like this series to that one, no context, that one would be worse. But I just think that this is supposed to be the year for the Maple Leafs to, you know, finally make a playoff run. They were supposed to be easily the best team in this division and to have them lose to the Canadians in that way and lose a game seven like that just just feels like the the worst pain that Toronto Maple Leafs fans have felt in a you know, a decade or five plus decades. You know, I haven't won a cup since nineteen sixty seven and there are only six teams in the league still. Uh, it's, I don't know. I think it's eight straight games that they've lost with. Yeah. I was trying to do the math. It's either seven or eight where they've had a chance to, to advance and they've lost them all. Yeah. It was, it was something like that. I, I think it's, I think it's eight, but I don't know at the top of him. I was just trying to find it right now. On yeah. Phone, well, yeah. cause I know I was like, just trying to go back, just looking at Wikipedia playoff articles because in 2004, they won a game seven against Ottawa in the first round, and then they didn't have a chance to eliminate, I think it was the Flyers. They lost in six games. And then 2013, they lost game seven. They won game six. And then in 20, 2017, they didn't have a chance against Washington. But then in 2018, lost game seven. 2019, they lost game six and game seven. So that's four. Oh, you're right. It is eight because 2020, they lost to Columbus. And then, yeah, three more. So, yeah. Oh, and eight. You can make eight you, chances. You definitely can make a case that it's worse now just because in 2013 they didn't have guys like Austin Matthews or Mitch no. Marner no, they, or John Tavares. I, and then, yeah. then now those guys are on their roster. I saw I know I saw a tweet where it was um you know a video where it's like you know Austin Matthews and G, uh Mitch Marner playoff highlights and it's just a picture of them and then it just cuts to thanks for watching. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, and then uh, one other tweet that I want to bring up. Um, so the because of you know COVID restrictions in Canada, there haven't been any fans attending any NHL games to this point. But the Maple Leafs were able to allow 550 fully vaccinated frontline healthcare workers in the crowd, and uh, 
some some senators fan it looks like replied to a tweet saying uh it's great to have this many sealed first responders in case everyone on the leafs chokes at the same time oh god <laughs> <laughs> and hey yeah that's that's basically what happened here just none of them showed up and we're ready to to pull that one out so but yeah reading the the other stats since their last series win dating back to 2004 I, I already read off the amount of days. Players in their lineup, 247 different players in their lineup. That's that's enough for 13 different rosters or so. And then they've had 28 different goalies. And they've also have played tw- 1,240 regular season games since then as well. And another thing is, I don't know if you know Joe Thornton, former Bruins yeah, player and, yes. and former Sharks player, yep. who is a no- notorious playoff choker and then finding out that he's on the Maple Leafs that's a perfect combination right? of player and team I love Two how yeah big... he him and Jason Spezza signed with the Maple Leafs to try to win a cup like you know how did that work out like such a crazy concept to think about um but yeah I think it's Tony Maserati from Felger and Mass said that uh you know turns out Joe Thornton and the Maple Leafs are a perfect marriage or something like that Um, Yeah, of course. I guess, you know, we can finish up the Leafs talk with just the latest tweet from since Leafs last cup. 19,754 days since the cup. Zero days since blowing a 3-1 series lead. 6,251 days since winning a playoff series. 464 days since losing to an AHL Zamboni driver. And 33 days until setting the record for the longest Stanley Cup drought in NHL history. Hashtag Leafs forever. (laughs) So... Um, all right, and I guess you know maybe not as painful, but arguably even more embarrassing. The so the Maple Leafs will be facing the Winnipeg Jets because the Jets swept the Edmonton Oilers out of the first round, despite the Oilers having Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle, two of the best stars in the game. So Edmonton done in four games. What, what do you do now? Like what 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 do you do if you're Connor McDavid? Like does uh, it? Is cry an option? <laughs> I mean, it's it's things like this that just make me have a hard time believing that Connor McDavid has cemented himself as the, the best player in the NHL. And I know that it's a team sport, and I know that the Oilers are a functional organization, but I don't know that he should be, you know, totally without blame in this series. Like, he had, I think he scored one goal in game four. I know he had three secondary assists in game three, but also had the turnover that helped uh, Winnipeg pull it out in overtime. So, I mean. One one you know, knock it, on him is his contract. I know that he's the best player. Yeah, what or, is his contract? Well, so it's I've eight years, that. 100 million. That's 12 and a half million. A, I think it's 12 and a half. Or, yeah, 12 and a half million a year. Yeah, 12 and a half million a year or so. And. Like I know it's I know he's the best player in the league or one one he's, of them. He's yeah he's in the top three without yeah a doubt. At, at least top three maybe maybe higher but whatever it he makes that much money and the NHL is a hard cap league it is kind of hard to you know build a, a roster around him when one all that money is tied up to one player I mean Bert, uh Martian and Pasternak they make combined combined the two of them barely exceed mcdavid's contract and like that, that it's impossible it's not impossible but it's very very difficult very, to, yeah to build a roster when one guy makes that much money and i think 
at the same time, it also makes it so it would be impossible for him to be traded and end up in a better situation because he is such a valuable player and that contract is so big that it's like teams would have to give so many significant assets that I feel like he just end up in a situation that's the exact same thing as he's in in Edmonton. Like he's stuck there, right? Pretty much, yeah. So I, I don't, I mean, I think it would be crazy to trade him, but yeah, even if you did, I mean, yeah, it, for the other team that would get him, it it would probably be like what you just said. The, it'd be the exact same situation for that other team uh, as it is in Edmonton right now. So, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't know what to do besides cry <laughs> as an Edmonton fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's it's definitely frustrating, you know. When I mean, it, Mike Trout was trending on Twitter because of the the Oilers collapses, because it's the same thing. Which you should because it's baseball it's, and just a horrible situation. It's basically the hockey. exact same situation where yeah, which him, I think we did talk about that. We we, we actually we did talk time. about that. Where it was Trout and Otani mm-hmm. are are the same as McDavid and Drysaddle in their sports. Yep. So yeah, one of the Jets in the. Uh, the Canadians are going to be in the final four and uh, I've got to think that, you know, whoever they face is going to have a pretty good path to get to the Stanley Cup finals. Uh, so let's talk about the South division hurricanes lightning. So this is uh they're playing tonight or, you know, last night, tonight in they're real playing time. Game I've two seen, tonight. yeah, I've seen a lot of uh, people in hurricanes gear outside my window you know, heading to the arena for the game. Lightning took game one. So this is a series where you have the Lightning as a three seed. The Hurricanes have home ice advantage, but I feel like the Lightning should be the favorites, not just as the defending Stanley yeah, Cup champs, they, but they, they have the more talented roster. Not to say Carolina is not a great team, but uh, this, it, you know, Tampa, Tampa had a very hard-fought series with the Florida Panthers. Carolina had a very hard-fought series with the National Predators, and... I think Tampa, in their situation, going up against a better Florida team is, you know, it's more impressive, I guess, that they were able to pull it out than Carolina taking care of Nashville. So I think Carolina is a little bit more experienced and a little bit more equipped than they were two years ago that to advance in this postseason. I know they made the East Finals, but I, I, I take it more seriously now than I would have two years ago, but yeah, and that's absolutely fair. Yeah, but at the same time, seeing this matchup kind of depresses me because I want Carolina to win this matchup badly if the Bruins were to advance because they definitely they'd face uh, the winner ha- of this. They, yeah, and they have Carolina's number, but Tampa, it's the complete opposite where it's <laughs> yeah. just the worst matchup possible, and I don't as a as a pessimistic fan, I, I I don't see this getting better for Carolina. I mean, Florida, they played as well as I thought they possibly could, and they lost in six, and I kind of see a similar few blowouts result for- in that series. I think both of their wins came in overtime, too, yeah. so it's like you know they barely were able to, to pull out wins and avoid that you know, being a really quick series. So yeah, and yeah, that's that's kind of my expectations of this one as well. I, I yeah. That's where I was going. Is that I, I don't I wouldn't be surprised if Carolina wins a game or two, but do I expect them to win the series? Absolutely not. I think Tampa is way too good. They won the Stanley Cup last year without Steven Stamkos, and now he's back. So I yeah. So is there might they might be even better than last season, 
And what's um the current status of Nikita Kucherov? Because I know I mean he obviously played great when he was healthy, came back, but he got hurt again, right? Is he is he playing? No, he's he pl- he's though? playing. Yeah, I mean, okay, he's he went off that first game uh, when he came yep. coming back, and yeah. he went off in another game. There there have been games where he hasn't done anything, but there because I'm pretty sure couple. he missed at least one game against Florida. But uh, you could be right. I'll it might have been like I didn't, game four. I didn't watch. He's probably I didn't watch back. every single game of that series, but mm-hmm. uh, I know there were games that he didn't have to do much, or or he didn't do much. But there were also games where he was unstoppable as well. Yeah, uh, but but he's I mean, healthy right now. If, you, if okay. that was what you're wondering. Yeah, that's that's basically what I'm wondering. I mean, he's a guy. He won the Hart Trophy a couple years ago. Like I think he scored a record goals in the season he's he's obviously a, a fantastic player and he was a huge difference maker for that lightning team all right so in the last division the west division we finally get the matchup we've been looking forward to all season long colorado avalanche versus the vegas golden knights and what happens in game one the avalanche went seven to one so they are rolling right now they they swept oh, yeah, the St. Louis blues and then yeah game one just all colorado yeah, that that's a scary team. And what's funny is that on here I I picked Vegas, but in my bracket I picked Colorado. So one way I'm going to be wrong, but one way I'm going to be right. I mean, there you go. <laughs> Since yeah, I, I mean, I guess the way that I look at it is I'm rooting for Vegas, but my expectations are kind of low for them. Yeah, just because I, I, the Avalanche are so good. I have the exact same feelings. Is and when you look up back on the last round, Colorado they just swept the Blues and. For the Golden Knights, it took them seven games to finally finish off the Wild, and I think that's mm-hmm. huge for Colorado, just given the obvious rest. I think I think rest in the playoffs is huge in the NHL. That's just me. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Vegas was up 3-1. to one. They had a chance to finish them off, and they, they, they wound up winning game seven in a blowout, but I, I do think that that took a toll. And, you know, obviously Peter DeBoer decided that after playing, you know, Seven games in fourteen days. Mark Andre Fleury shouldn't have played in Game One, and I, I actually don't ends up conceding a lot of goals. So. I don't blame him in at. I don't blame him for that decision at all because what if Mark Andre? He's not an eighteen-year-old kid. I mean, he's I know. near the end of his I know. career. He's an older and guy, and he just went through a, a entire seven-game series, and he knows that Mark Andre Fleury is probably not at a, a. He's probably a little tired at this point, so. Uh, and Robin Liner, I know he didn't show it in Game One, but I, I honestly don't think he's that big of a drop off to Fleury. No, he, well, he was a better goalie last year. I don't know about this year. I saw that. Well, Mark Andre Fleury today, is a Vesna candidate. So. Yeah, they announced him as a Vesna finalist this year. So um, he, I, he I don't up, know. Hey, I'll take Flower back in Pittsburgh if Vegas isn't gonna play him. Like you know, I, I, he would certainly be an improvement over Jari, and I'd be fine with him playing all twenty-eight games if he has to. I don't care how old he is. But, I mean. They, they, yeah, when you have a backup like Robin Lehner, it's more justifiable. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, it's. I think it's tough to. It play. was kind of it's, a scheduled loss, just given how much rest Colorado has had and how mm-hmm. everything that Vegas had to go through just to get to the next round. So, I I kind of understand why he went with Robin Lehner and Liner in that uh, in game one, but obviously they're going to go back to Flurry in game two. Yeah, and I think it puts a lot of pressure on Flurry now because you're already coming in down 1-0 so and, and that that trio of McKinnon Landeskog and Ranton and, and then adding in Kale McCarr uh on defense uh with his offensive skills is is, a, is scary 
th- those those three adding in Makar. Are you willing to say that Nate McKinnon has passed Connor McDavid? Yes, I would okay. say that. I I was gonna bring that up. I, it, it's because it's kind of a hot take, but I honestly do believe it. I I think I would take him over McDavid if if I had to pick one guy over McDavid. I think he'd be the guy, just given his combination of size, speed, uh, amazing shot, and leadership, and all the other cliche words. I think I would take McKinnon uh, over McDavid. McKinnon is at least great at least with his contract. Yeah, I mean <laughs> McKinnon's been great in the playoffs. McDavid was not. McKinnon hasn't lost a playoff game. McDavid didn't win a playoff game this season. So uh, I think you know maybe it's just a recency bias thing. But Nate McKinnon is a fantastic player, and I think it's it's tough for me to say that he's not better than McDavid. So I mean McDavid will probably put up better stats or put up more points. But... And he did in the regular season, but. You know, I mean, I, Colorado's also a better team than Edmonton overall. He has so, a lot more to work with, so that definitely helps. Yeah. All right, that'll wrap up the NHL talk for now. Uh, we'll definitely talk more basketball and hockey playoffs before it's all said and done. Let's uh, let's kind of get ready to wrap things up with just a bunch of topics here. Let's start with golf. So the uh, the match four is set to happen in July. Phil Mickelson, fresh off the PGA Championship, set to team up with Tom Brady, going up against Aaron Rodgers and your guy Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, you know, how are you feeling about this? You know, what is what is your excitement level just given the four players that are going to be involved in this, particularly the two golfers? Uh, I'm honestly not as excited as I, I was for the Brady Phil versus Tiger. Uh, Manny matchup just given the times because uh, if you remember dating back to last year there was no sports yeah and I mean, then all of a sudden those guys are playing event. and they're all four athletes that I know very well and it was golf and kind of a front row seat to uh, all the commentary that was going on in that match so I was definitely more pumped for that match than this one but am I excited for it yeah to an extent just given who's involved and I obviously like uh Brady and, and Bryson and then and and I know Phil and Aaron Rodgers so am I excited sure but you, you I'm not like them. I'm not like pumped up for for this match either at the same yeah. time yeah so Phil Mickelson 50 years old oldest golfer to win a major so I I think that that was really cool and um yeah I mean I was definitely he, rooting for Phil uh in on on the the final Sunday just just given like how, just looking at the crowd, I, I oh, mean, oh, they were all all ready to to support for, Phil by the end. Yeah, and f- for over the past few years, I look looking back at all the majors, the the ones that stand out to me were the 2018 PGA when Brooks won, but it was Tiger uh, going up the leaderboard. That's what uh, got people's attention. Yep. and then obviously the 2019 Masters when Tiger won, and then this past major with Phil winning and i think well part of that is because of the pandemic but i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there aren't a lot of golfers to gravitate towards i think it's really i've I've said numerous times in the past that it's only tiger and then that's it It, but that last major proved to be wrong it's it's tiger and phil and then that's it because those are the two guys that have been in the sport for a long time and fans really know and they don't really gravitate towards the 
the younger players. Yeah, I mean, Phil, he's he's right up there, number two fan favorite. He's kind of like Dale Earnhardt Jr. If you talk NASCAR, where like he was never like the best driver, but because of his dad, he was the most popular driver. And anytime he was up there, fans were going to tune in and be excited for him. Same thing with Phil. It's his first major win in eight years. And uh, I know that that got a lot of people on the TV when when he was leading heading into the final round and certainly a cool thing for him to be able to win and a historic victory for him. So certainly sets things up for this match play. And, uh, and we've definitely had some conversations about this offline. But let's uh, let's talk about it on the podcast. Maybe not the dream match when it comes to two golfers, because. We have a rivalry with your guy Bryson DeChambeau, and there's a, a big viral video that's just making it blow up even more involving Brooks Kepka. So this was, I think, on Saturday at the PGA Championship. This video was leaked a couple days later. I think it was after the match was announced, but it was... Um, actually, no, it was before the match before was Before the match was Yeah, it was right before. It was probably the day before. So... Brooks Kepka was being interviewed by, you know, Golf Network or NBC, whoever, and uh, Bryson DeChambeau and someone else are like walking in the back and they like make a comment to Brooks when he was talking about so, his like, I don't putting think, struggles or something. So look, listening to it closely, I really don't think it had anything to do with what Brooks was saying. I think Bryson was just talking about his last shot on the last hole. So, so he wasn't chirping. He Brooks, wasn't chirping. Know? I don't think you he was chirping. Really hear what he said. So when Brooks in that video says, uh, I, "I I have to stop after hearing that bullshit," he's talking yeah. about his spikes, his metal spikes. He's not talking about oh. what, what Bryson was saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with his, I think it was his caddy, by the way. I don't, I don't know. Is his caddy? That makes yeah. sense. I didn't it know had nothing to do with that. People were talking about like, "Oh, put on the right." You got to put on the right line. That that's why. And like, no, it it had nothing to do with what Brooks was talking about. It. It was the metal spikes, and Brooks hates those the spikes the, the because Bryson's one of the few players that wears them when you're allowed to wear them. Okay, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just another thing where like this is a big rivalry. I think it's great. I I, I love golf. it. I yeah. love it. it. So it's I guess, not even just a problem in golf; it's a problem in uh, sports. There needs to be more hatred. Yeah. There's got to yeah. be more. Think, yeah, real rivalries and more hatred towards. Yeah. Especially in a sport like golf where it's like these guys are competing against each other, but they're not like it's not like a direct competition like Brooks Kepka playing well doesn't necessarily hurt Bryson DeChambeau if he also plays well. So I think having that kind of rivalry just kind of adds a lot more to it. It would be really awesome to see these two in like a final pairing in a major, just really going head to head. I would be all for it. I mean, people have talked about they would love to see it uh, in the the first round couple rounds of the u.s open have them paired together but i think that's a little forced i would rather have it yeah have it being you know, a have it happen now naturally. obviously both have to play well for it to happen yes. so yeah you couldn't actually schedule it but it at the same time it's not really a forced thing i'd rather have it be a final round which i know is mm-hmm. more unlikely of course than having the the control to actually make it happen on those first couple days but I, that's just me i'd rather see it uh in a, in a final round i think it'd be really really awesome so as a as a brooks kepka fan i'm not a big fan of bryson shambo i know you like bryson do you hate brooks no or? no i don't okay. so there are things i like and dislike about brooks i mean one i i like that brooks only cares about majors i mean because <laughs> yeah because as yeah. a hardcore fan yeah do i like do i care about who wins the other tournaments yes but if you're a casual fan 
do you really care? I'm always going to go back to this because it was so funny during the time, but do you really care if someone wins the Farmer's Insurance Cup? No. <laughs> or the no. Charles Schwab you care, Challenge? Or you care about the majors. Ter- you, you care, care about, about the, the Ryder Cup. I don't yeah. really even care about the FedEx playoffs like all that much. It's, yeah. It's, it's, so it's really just events just for the weekend. It's really just the majors that casual fans are going to care about. And so I love that he only cares about those events. He has the same amount of wins as Bryson, but he has four majors. So, so I love that he cares about majors. And then another thing is, uh, I mean, he's definitely cooler than Bryson. Like, if you ask me who <laughs> yeah. I'd rather oh, hang out easily. with, yeah, I'd rather yeah. hang out with Brooks. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, another thing is also pace of play. He's definitely talked about that in the past, about how it's a problem. I mean, there's nothing that pisses me off more than watching a baseball game and watching a pitcher wave off signs, scratching his nuts, and then time out, time out, time out. We gotta talk this pitcher. Just throw the ball, throw it. So <laughs> yeah. So I, I I understand where he's coming from when it comes to pace of play. I guess it doesn't bother me as much in golf because in golf there are so many golfers where if someone is thinking about what what their next shot should be or how what club to use or how they should hit it or where to hit it. They can just go to another golfer hitting a putt or hitting a drive. It's like it's like NFL red zone, right? Whenever there's yeah, like a, oh yeah, whenever there's a timeout, they just go to another game, new, new game. Just, yeah, it's the yeah, same and, thing and on the golf show course. Show them, show them scoring, and so yeah, it's kind of like that in golf. So that's why it doesn't bother me as much. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I get it. I guess the things that I don't like about Brooks, uh, he could be a little too whiny sometimes. I hated how he handled the the ending of the PGA championship. I'm not sure if you heard his press conference, but he talked no. about how like, Oh yeah, it was, it, would, it was cool that the fans were there, but uh, I didn't like how there were that many people uh, hitting my knee. And uh, he, con- he complained constantly about the knee injury and the fans. And he talked about how uh, a fan even, he, he thought fans were doing it on purpose, hitting his knee and, and then he talked about how holes five through 13 wind blowing left to right. So it favored the lefty guys like Phil. It's like, dude, you lost. Stop. Just don't just stop complaining. You just lost. Get over it. I, I didn't. He could be a little too whiny sometimes for my liking. Uh, so I, I hated how he handled the that the ending of the PGA championship. But so I don't hate Brooks. I, I, I like Brooks. But yeah, he just sometimes. uh Sometimes I don't like. I mean, do you like him because he's cool with the barstool guys? And oh like, yeah, that's a hundred percent it. I mean, not, I, that's fine. I'm not. I'm not saying that's that's wrong of you to. No, to well, it's way, like but, but I, I know I he's hear cool. Him on with interviews the, like this seems like a cool golfer. Yeah, I know. And then it's like, oh, he doesn't like Bryson DeChambeau. I don't like Bryson DeChambeau. I know. It's nice to have someone other than Tiger Woods when Tiger is just so inconsistent whether he's playing and whether he's playing well. So to me, it's like Brooks Koepka is like that golfer that I never had, which is like a second guy to like actually root for. I guess, um, I guess yeah, the, it's, it's all the cool factor. And, like, I, I no, kind I, of get that, like, the frustrating, like, the complaining and stuff. I mean, it's a weird thing to hit someone's knee. Like, I guess I, I didn't really see what that is. Is that, like, a normal thing? Like, you, I get, like, no, slapping that, someone that, that's on the what back or the saying, shoulder. That but... He thinks someone intentionally hit his knee and... Trying to I take him out a, and get filled yeah, in. Yeah, it, it's, it's just a crowd, dude. Like, <laughs> relax. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, th- that crowd was like, that was like the first crowd that we've seen, um, you know, it, it across any type of event with at that kind of size. So, um, so, you know, I think it's cool in some aspects, but at the same time, we talked about the NBA, I guess golf fans are the same way. They just don't know how to handle themselves being back out there. 
So yeah, and it's just that another thing is Brooks is so talented and and I I just love I love the drive uh, literally and figuratively of Bryson and how hard he works uh, in his in his game. I mean I mean Brooks he comes off as the guy that he. He doesn't have to study one minute for an AP test, but he'll still get a five. <laughs> Where Bryson, he can get the same result, but he has to put in way more. <laughs> he has to study yeah. way more. He has to put in way more work to get the same result as Brooks because Brooks is just that talented. So, yeah, Bryson, yeah, he's a dork, but I, I just love uh, how driven he is and how, how hard he works to uh, perfectly craft his game. And another thing is I just love how different Bryson is because – as someone that's a hardcore fan, uh, as I am of the PJ Tour, I know deep down, uh, all these guys are, are kind of the same. Where they all have the same uh, cookie cutter mentality or country club swing. I mean, look at Spieth. I mean, yeah, he's the golden boy, but yeah, again, he has the same country club swing as everyone else. And is he still the golden boy? Yeah, I mean, he was. Like, yeah, yeah, he definitely is. And but he hasn't won a major. In- since 2017 and then Rory yeah I like how insightful he is about the game but he hasn't won a major in seven years it's just I don't like how a lot of these guys they have early success and then they flame out and it's just Mm -hmm. so that's kind of frustrating and yeah like they're just I I, there's not enough guys that are different uh, on the PGA Tour in my opinion and uh and another thing is I also like I think Bryson is a guy that can get more eyes on the game, whether if you lo- love him or hate him. Yeah, well. and I, I agree with that. I think both Bryson and Brooks are unique, and yeah, it's certainly the. I think Bryson is probably easier to hate, but in in some ways, it also makes him more likable. Whereas, I guess Brooks is maybe the more older crowd, but like he's someone who I think has a lot of appeal with younger people. So, yeah, I mean, I, I regardless, it's good for the game. I think having both of these guys be you know, have this rivalry going you know, the kind of polar opposite players and Brooks being the try hard guy and Bryson be or the other way around Bryson being the try hard guy. Brooks just being the, the casual guy. He only wants the game to be 12 holes and, uh, it's, you know, goes out odd. and wins majors just for fun. Yeah. It's it's but, odd that Aaron Rodgers is paired with Bryson and not Brooks. Cause when, when do you think Aaron Rodgers should be paired with Brooks? Cause both those guys are like yeah, oh, really, very similar really laid back, kind of super cocky and, those two i think should be paired together not bryson i kind of don't get the brooks you know brooks and uh aaron Rodgers are definitely on on good terms because brooks after they announced the match for he tweeted at aaron Rodgers, sorry bro yeah i thought that was funny I think that's a good segue into our next segment. Um, yeah, so Aaron Rodgers will be playing in a golf tournament in July. Uh, right now, he's hanging out in Hawaii with his fiance Shailen Woody and uh, actor Miles Teller. So he's uh, certainly having a good time there. A lot of fun videos, him playing the guitar and singing, and they're going on like hikes and stuff. And uh, currently, there's OTAs going on, and he's obviously not in Green Bay or wherever they're you know, their practice facility is for those. So I think there's just a lot of questions right now. What is going on with Aaron Rodgers? What's his relationship like with the Packers? He says it's not an issue with Jordan Love. He says it's a culture thing. I guess, how much are you buying into that? And I, b- what I is believe your... him to an extent. Like, I don't think it has to do anything with Jordan Love. I think he's a good guy. And maybe he wasn't happy in the moment that they took a quarterback, but I'm sure he doesn't have any hard feelings towards Jordan Love. I think I'm... I'm 
I believe him to no, an extent. It, that has yeah has more to do with how the organization is run. I'm sure he doesn't hate Jordan Love, but I agree, and I think that's kind of what comes down to it. I think he hates the fact that Jordan Love was you know a first round pick when he was still on the team, still playing at a high level. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like it. Still seems crazy to think that this wouldn't work out in a way that Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers this year, but. Every day it seems more and more likely that something is going to happen, whether it's an actual break and he gets traded or even to the point where Rodgers is like, I'm just not going to play this season. Figure what it was, out. What was that trade the Niners offered supposedly on draft day? It was the number three overall pick, Garoppolo, and a, a bunch of other picks and players. I, I don't – I didn't see I, actual, I heard that there like, was a, a official hall. trade. Uh, the Niners were going to... You would have to, to require... I, I just think that if the, if the Packers were going to move on from Rodgers at all, if they're thinking about it, they probably should have just taken the Niners deal. If that Niners deal is true. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I believe that they did give some kind of an offer to them. And yeah, maybe the, the Packers are going to regret not making a move sooner. I still think there's plenty of teams who would line up and be willing to give up a lot to acquire him. Um but I also understand the Packers wanting to wait as long as possible to actually make a move. So I I I kind of have the same feelings as the last time we talked about I talked about Rodgers where part of me thinks yeah, you should do whatever it takes to keep him cuz he's your franchise quarterback and if you don't have him you're more than likely screwed. I mean, unless if Jordan Love ends up being the man, but at the same time I don't I don't know, maybe it would be smart to move on from him just just be, just given it how makes, much of it how much of a diva he can be yeah it I makes more sense to get a haul back for him than get little to nothing if that's what we're talking about but like I, I mean i don't know it's tough because like the packers obviously drafted jordan love for a reason and if they don't believe he's the guy then it makes sense that they would want to keep aaron Rodgers around but if aaron Rodgers doesn't want to be there anymore and he's not willing to accept a huge extension or whatever they're offering then it puts the Packers in a tough spot. So, um, you know, I, I certainly hope that he ends up... Well, actually, I don't even know if I agree with that. I think what I hope happens is that he doesn't play the season. He, You know, him and Miles Teller go on vacations together. Him and Shailen Woodley, they plan their life together. Maybe he becomes a host of Jeopardy. And then next season, if Ben Rossberger retires, Aaron Rodgers steps in and he's the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's actually what I, I th- hope I think the I think the Texans... And Packers should just trade Watson and Rodgers for each other. Just, yeah, just, just you just take our, you take our <laughs> crap. We'll take your crap. <laughs> yeah, that would be, I mean, that'd be a wild jo- trade. I'm yeah. obviously joking with that trade, but I think it it kind of makes sense. <laughs> I mean, I no, I, 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 I guess, yeah. We'll, we'll see how the, all that plays out. One, with Watson, one guy's situation it doesn't make sense. One for guy's the situation is probably a little way. bit more serious than the other. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like, oh man, can you imagine that? Yeah, that's the Packers. They're like, all right, Rodgers, go play in Houston. Have fun there. Have fun with the Jack Easterby. Dad, you hate Green Bay. You hate Brian Gutekunst. Have fun with these guys. That, uh, that would be one way to show him. Um, but yeah, realistically, I don't know. I, I feel like he's going to end up playing this season. And I, I, I like, I want to think he's going to play for the Packers, but it just seems, I don't know. It seems like a hot take to say he's going to be the Packers quarterback at this point, then he'll be somewhere else, which feels crazy to think about. I guess the, I just don't know where he's, I know the Broncos and Raiders yeah, Broncos been, are a team. Yeah. Like both of them have been, yeah, that he, that he'd get traded to, but I don't even know what 
they would offer. It would have to be a ton, yeah. They would they would not just be able to, you know, get him for nothing, even with his uh his you know recent actions. Um so you need to talk about the Packers needing to do whatever they can to salvage this relationship. What about trading for Julio Jones? Uh, for the Packers, yeah. I mean, that would that would probably help uh, Rodgers staying since it's really just Devontae and then a drop-off to those next guys. So, yeah, I, and it, they'd, make, they'd it, make sense. It feels inevitable that Julio is going to end up being traded. Um, you know, there were reports heading into the draft that the Falcons were actively shopping him. And uh, last week on Undisputed, Shannon Sharp called him mid-show and asked if he's going to play for the Falcons next year. And he said, no, I'm out of there. And there are you know, more reports saying that he actually demanded a trade earlier in the offseason. It feels inevitable, especially now that it's past the June 1st deadline when the, uh, you know, the contract structures change. So I guess my first question is, do you believe that there was any kind of like a setup um, with with Sharp's call of Julio seems Jones. like it a little right? like I don't just think a, anything just announcing happened, it randomly right? re- mid show that isn't isn't undisputed still happening like Shannon Sharp hasn't been suspended or anything. I, I mean I don't watch undisputed so especially I, I since feel Skip like Bayless I, we is would on know there. that yeah. yeah I know I feel like we would know that so I, I I'm I'm under the impression that this was some kind of a setup and this was his way of uh, you know forcing the Falcons hand maybe but yeah I um. You know, I, I do think it's inevitable at this point. A lot of teams are being linked to him. Um, you know, the Patriots are one of them, the Ravens, the Titans, the 49ers. So I guess, you know, do you do you feel like there's any any team that makes the most sense for Julio at this point? Is it your Patriots? Is it somebody else? No, I don't think... I mean, would I be excited if he came to New England? Yeah, I guess. But at the same time, I don't... Cam's still the quarterback, so it does... I mean... Uh, no, that's why if he he's wants still to the go quarterback, there, I don't, I don't care who's that receiver. If Cam Newton's still gonna be the quarterback, and Bill insists on him being the starting quarterback for the entire season, so I, I at this, if it were Tom Brady, yeah, I'd be, I'd be thrilled. But with Cam Newton, no, I wouldn't be that excited. I guess one reason why it would make sense because is because when you look at the receiving core of New England, I mean, they took, they got Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar from free agency and. Jacoby Myers is pretty decent. Nikhil Harry, I'm not even going to mention uh, in that <laughs> yeah. group. So those other three guys, they're all decent receivers, but none of them are number one receivers. No. So if you if you brought in Julio, that takes the pressure off those other guys. So it would make sense from that standpoint. But another thing is Bill wouldn't pay that kind of money uh, for a receiver. Whatever Julio's yeah, especially I know his contract is years absurd. old. All the injury issues he's had. Yeah, I think and, he only played like seven games yeah, last season. That's another thing. If Julio's on the wrong side of thirty, and he's often injured now. So it, his contract is crazy. And as a number one receiver, you're going to want the ball a lot. Uh, so he probably wouldn't love the game plans of whatever the Bill has dialed up for each week. And and yeah, and you can't count on him to be durable as well. So I don't I actually don't think it makes sense for new I mean some some reasons it wouldn't, some reasons it wouldn't make sense. Uh, yeah, and I apparently some team has offered the Falcons a first round pick for Julio Jones. I don't see why any team would do that without some assurance that Atlanta is going to pay for at least some of his contract. I think it's like a fifteen point three million dollar cap hit for anyone who trades for him. 
Uh, I think realistically they're looking at a second and maybe like a fourth or a fifth. So one team that I've I've seen is heavily linked to Julio Jones is the Tennessee Titans, and I'm looking at their receiver depth chart. Obviously, they have A.J. Brown. They lost Corey Davis. Josh Reynolds, who they signed in free agency, he's probably their number two receiver. There's a big drop-off after that. So I, I think that the Titans make a yeah, lot the, of sense. The, the Titans would, a team that would be willing to give up a lot to, to get him and uh, just ti- add another weapon to their offense. Yeah, the Titans would make sense. I mean, if, if they don't get him and that's their receiving core, then A.J. Brown is a near first-round pick in fantasy next year with that receiving core. Uh, yeah, it's not, not a whole lot of help, though, so... I um yeah I mean they're I I guess they'd be a team I'd Te- much Tennessee rather and, get Tennessee than and Baltimore, Baltimore I think make the most sense yeah I mean, I mean Baltimore is a case so they have a lot of young receivers and it sounds like the uh you know their their GM uh, Eric DeCasas he's spoken highly of what they have I don't know that they'd be a team that would be willing to give up a lot to acquire Julio Jones and I think that could be kind of a stumbling block. Um, the 49ers are another team that's been linked to him, but it's tough when they they've you know they don't have a first round pick for the next two years, so they they've already given up a lot of draft capital for Trey Lance. I don't know if they'd be willing to give up more for Julio Jones. That could be one of the all time bad. This is kind of <laughs> off topic, but that what? could be one of the the all time bad trades if Trey Lance <laughs> does not work out. But oh yeah, it, just given how many first round picks that they don't have for the next few years, and but yeah, anyway. I think Julio would make sense, and yeah, Tennessee and Baltimore, I think, make the most sense, just not only because Tennessee doesn't have, like you said, Corey Davis, but I mean, Josh Reynolds is their next best receiver. I, I wouldn't feel super confident about that. I mean, I think he's good, but I, as a as a slot guy, as your third or fourth guy, I would feel Yeah, I agree. About. He shouldn't be a number two receiver and, and, for and, a team that wants to be a playoff team. And then in Baltimore, it's the same thing as the year, the year before, where it's, okay, Lamar's great uh with his legs his arm uh, I, I mean it, it's good or it's okay but i mean the what's surrounding him after lamar it's mark andrews and marquise hollywood brown and i don't know i don't love that receiving core that much i mean those guys are no, fine I mean, but... they drafted rashad bateman in the first round right who I, I do like him but yeah they they, they could stand to add more talent to the receiver room but does it make sense for the ravens to have a 15 million dollar receiver when they're such a run heavy team maybe that could totally transform their offense adding julio jones especially if he plays at you know his his old pro bowl caliber self but i guess i'm just um, not just, a fan i think it'll be I'm, I'm not a fan of baltimore's style on offense this army no i'm not either and i don't know that julio jones fits what they done the past couple seasons and i guess he could certainly help transform them but i, I don't know and it, it, that's also a kind of an, an if he is healthy and you know the Pro Bowl caliber player that he could be. I just, I just I just think Baltimore's ceiling is capped with the way they run their offense. I mean, it's it was great a couple of years ago, but then they just lost immediately in the playoffs. And yeah, I don't know how far they can go with the offense that they run. And yeah, no, and Tennessee also is. I mean, they run heavier offense, but. Um, you know, I think that they'd be a team that can make more use of Julio Jones. So if I had to make a prediction, I would I would say that Tennessee would be the team that'd be willing to put the most on the line to acquire him, just of all the teams we've talked about. Um, all right, so let's uh let's move on to a topic that uh you and I certainly have not discussed before, but that is uh something relevant based on this past weekend, the Indianapolis five hundred. So 
I guess my my first question before going into this have I know you have partaken in in gambling in on sports have you ever even considered betting on like a, a race car race uh nascar yes just because okay. with the lack of sports last year nascar was one of the first they were probably ones. the only one yeah they, they were one of the first ones back and i was desperate for any sort of entertainment <laughs> and so yeah. so nascar i will admit yes i have i have bet on not successfully though uh once other sports came back, I was like, "Screw NASCAR!" Like, yeah, I can't. I, okay. I, I gave it my honest effort in into getting into the sport, and I uh-huh. I couldn't stand it. <laughs> yeah, no, what? that's, that's fair. That, I've well, never been a huge fan of it. Yeah, and I think gambling on it be the only way that I could see myself really caring and, about. And it. that was the only way I could get into it, and even that was not that fun. Especially when you're when someone you bet on is in the lead, but then all of a sudden someone hits them in the uh. And then crashes, and then <laughs> is <laughs> yeah. out of the race, uh, and uh-huh. yeah. So seeing that kind of stuff is just like, yeah, this this is not my sport at all. Yeah, so. no, I I get that, and I'm not a big gambler, uh, so it's it's never really something that crosses my mind. But I couldn't help but think, man, what if? Because Helio Castroneves wins the Indy 500. He's one of like two drivers. I was just about to say, Mario he, I couldn't ready. name another Indy 500 driver besides him. Yeah, he's and, 46 years old. It's his fourth ever win at the Indy 500, tying a record. He had 31 odds. Like, I, I mean, you know, if I really cared about the sport and really wanted to get into it, I don't know that I would put a ton of money on him, but I feel like be, I would have been willing to take those chances. He's a driver. Sure, if I, if, if I were looking at the, the book and I all of a sudden, he looked Castro Nevis at that number? I, yeah, I know right? that, that name. feels, feels yeah. tempting, right? Yeah. I mean, I know, Phil Mickelson I, was three hundred to one to win the PGA Championship. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure that there's some people who made a good amount of money on him, and I'm sure that there are plenty who did the same thing in Cash and Avis. And that that's really my biggest takeaway. I didn't watch the race. I think I I watched it for like two laps because my parents got a new TV that they were setting up, and that was the first thing that came on. But we quickly changed it to basketball. Uh, but my yeah, only- it was just like. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's my only my, my only, only thought on this. My only takeaway was that when I clicked on Indy 500 on TV, they were still doing the national anthem, so I didn't even see any of the race. Oh yeah, and you just didn't stick around for the yeah, start. not at all. And what was cool though is just to see how many fans were there. I, yeah, just, I mean, I, I mean 135,000. It was only 40 percent capacity, and there's still 135,000 yeah, fans. So it, it's just that I mean, obviously, I was super happy that. It was full capacity for the Bruins game and then the Celtics game, but that's 17, 18,000 fans or whatever it is. So to see that many people at a sporting event, even if it's the Indy 500, I thought it was very refreshing. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's re- my, really, that was really my cool only stuff. takeaway from it. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's absolutely fair. Um, I think it's, I know that, you know, NASCAR races, they, they can always have a ton of people. So it's, it's definitely cool to be able to see big events like that where, you know, fans are back and it, it, it feels normal. Even if, you know, it, it's less than 50% of a crowd, you still have that many people. It, it feels cool to be able to get that many people back together and it, it feels safe. Uh, all right, let's move on to another, uh, you know, big event from this past weekend. And that is the UEFA Champions League final uh, I actually did watch most of this match, and Chelsea beats Manchester City one to nothing. Um, if I had to have a Premier League team, it'd be Manchester City, just because I remember as a kid 
watching Sports Center and seeing Manchester United win all the time. So I was never a huge fan of them. And then I found out there was another Manchester team. I was like, oh, I'm going to root for them. And now City's like the new Manchester United. But they'd never even played in a UCL final, let alone won one. Chelsea wins for the second time after winning in 2012, which we've talked about here. The you know the he's done it thing that was from the 2012 Chelsea's victory in the UCL final. Uh, they pull out the one nothing win, and I mean I think the biggest storyline for me at least is Christian Pulisic on Chelsea, first ever American to win the UEFA Champions League. So I think in you know I don't know how much that really matters in the grand scheme of things, but it it feels like that's a cool thing for Americans to like maybe think that there's a chance that American soccer can be relevant at some point and that you know the next step is he's going to be the first American to win a World Cup. I'll admit I I'm not a soccer fan. I'm not a soccer guy whatsoever. <laughs> I I wish I had some sort of take on this, but I don't You know. would be if the US was good at soccer. Yeah, but they're not. <laughs> I know, but well now the, the women's Christian team is Pulisic. great. I I I always say this every yeah, time we talk about soccer, that yes. the women's team is awesome, but the guys' team is just, they, they, they can't yeah. even make the, the play-in rounds. It's just, or for World Cup, I mean. And that just does not get me any more interested than I already was, so. Pulisic. Maybe. if <laughs> He didn't even score the one goal, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I um I think it's cool that, he was on the team. Uh, I did see him have a couple chances. I thought he was about to score a goal, but he he, he was way wide to the left. I, I can't provide the analysis on whether or not that was uh, something he should have scored or just, you know, good defense, tough play. But I don't know. I'm, uh, I, I want to be a bigger soccer fan just because I have a lot of friends who are soccer fans, particularly down here. My, my roommate, he's a huge Man City fan. I, I haven't talked to him about it. I assume he was upset by um, how the game played out. But at the same time, you got to be happy for Pulisic. you got to be happy for America. Just some hope that our men's soccer team can maybe someday be as good as a women's one guy, team. One guy I like uh, f- from the U.S., uh, Clint Dempsey. Yeah, he was he was yeah. good, he was a good player for the U.S. and he also played for the Revolution for a little bit. I, then I think he went to the Seattle Sounders. Is that what it was? Yeah, he yeah. did. I don't know, playing for Seattle. I, I don't know. He he was always a long time player for for the U.S. and then I think he played in the Premier League for Everton. I think it was. Sounds right. Yeah, I so, know someone played for. Oh, I thought it was Landon Donovan who played for Everton. No, I'm I'm pretty sure it was Dempsey might have as well. I'm pretty sure it was okay. Clint Dempsey. Yeah, I'm looking that up right now. Well, Pulisic is the next Clint Dempsey. He's a new. He's even better, Clint Dempsey. Oh, you might be right. Actually, he played for Fulham. Uh, Fulham and Tottenham. Okay, I don't even think they're in the. Wait, he played for Tottenham. Yeah. Oh, that's he impressive. played it, it. It looking at his wiki, it says he played in the Premier League for Fulham and Tottenham Hotspur. If I said that correctly. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. They're. Uh, I mean, they're they're one of the big teams in the Premier League, so. Might have right, been Tim cool. Howard that played for Everton. Yeah, that that sounds right. Yeah. I know Tim Howard Howard played in the Premier League. He also played for the Colorado Rapids. I'm surprised that I knew three U.S. <laughs> soccer players. <laughs> I think that's as I many mean, as I, I'm gonna get. Okay, I could name more, but I don't want to do that. What's Freddie do up to? Is he ready to? I, re- uh, I remember make the World Cup team. <laughs> I remember he was. People were saying he's the next phenom when he was like 16, 17, or eighteen. Yeah, he was like fourteen years old playing professionally. I remember when I was in elementary school, there was a giant poster over 
where the milk cartons were, and it and he he was on a poster that says "Got milk," and it was always yeah. there <laughs> every I lunch. I think we had the same poster in my school. Yeah, yeah. That's all I remember about Freddie to do. Okay, all right. That's enough soccer talk. Let's uh, let's talk about one more sport here that has a big championship. Some would say the biggest event in all of tennis and that is the french open and it is underway rafa nadal the king of clay looking to win for the fifth straight season yet somehow he's only the number three seed i know he's number three in the world but come on now why is djokovic the number one when nadal just beats him in the french open final every year i think he won the australian open yeah i said he was the biggest loser of 2020 so he's like i'll show Corey. he goes out wins the australian open again uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big Nadal fan. I'm certainly rooting for him and in this sh- one. And shouldn't he win if he's the king of clay? He should win. He's lost twice on clay in his career, or at least at the French Open. It's actually insane. I, I don't know what the latest numbers are on that him. Is, that is I know absurd. he was like a 98-2 and two or something yeah, at one point. It, it, um, it is absurd how good he is uh, on clay. Yeah, it's like Rafa Nadal on clay might be better than any other athlete in any other surface. Like, like, I don't know. Michael Phelps in water. He's he's better than him, and he's better than uh, you know, Michael Jordan on hard 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 parkour hardwood. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think at the top of my head what other people would call what other what Jerry Rice on artificial turf. No, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly rooting for him in this one. I don't know how much I'll watch. I'll maybe tune into the final. It's on a Sunday morning. I don't know if I'm gonna wake up to watch it, but maybe I'll get to see him win it at the end. I'll admit, uh, I, I only tune into Wimbledon. Uh, really? Of the, of the, of the four. I, I mean, they're all, well, they're all cool. I take it but... back. So I tune into the finals of the, the those, U.S. Open of the majors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean the Wimbledon if the timing final, I definitely is, enjoy If the watching. timing works and it's not like three in the morning, I'll, I'll tune into the final. Yeah, but which, Wimbledon's yeah, the only one fair. where I'll watch more than just the final. I'll I'll watch mm-hmm. even some of the earlier rounds. Yeah, okay. I um I pretty much only watched <laughs> like the semifinals and finals, and mostly only if Nadal or Djokovic is in it, because I mean they're gonna root for Nadal or root against Djokovic. Yeah, and same with me with Federer. Yeah, and if Federer is playing, like yeah, I guess you can throw him up there too. Um, and then on the women's side, it's you know probably the the biggest story right now with with uh, the French Open is Naomi Osaka. Um, she bowed out of the French Open. There was a some controversy just given that she has uh, you know been dealing with a lot of mental health issues. She just put out a post on this saying that she's dealing with a lot of anxiety, depression for the last few years. Didn't want to talk to the media. The French Open officials are like, uh, we don't care. You're going to talk to the media. And she says, I just can't do it. I don't want to be a distraction. So I'm just going to not play in the tournament. And I think it's just a really unfortunate situation. Like obviously the, the mental health aspect, you know, there's still a stigma around it. Like that's something that affects even rich, famous athletes. Uh, but I think it's unfortunate that it, it's gotten to the point where arguably the best women's tennis player in the world isn't playing in one of the, the four major tournaments because of it. Yeah, that that situation stinks. I mean, I, I don't know. That, so, so she withdrew because of mental health issues and she didn't want to be a distraction to everyone else or... I don't yeah, know. I, I mean, it, it, that sounds... Yeah. That sounds kind of bad on tennis if they say yeah, too bad, right? Uh, I know. Too bad and you got now that, like that now that she's out of it, they're trying to you know backtrack and support that, her. That, like, that feels you know, the, kind of tone deaf. I don't know. 
Yeah, to, to no, just... I agree with that. I think it's, I know, and it, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a tough situation, and I, I think a lot of people are saying, oh, she should suck it up. It's part of her contract to talk to the media and all that stuff. And like, you know, I get that aspect that you, you need that media coverage for sports to be successful. Like, you're supposed to have some level of access as an, an athlete to the media. Um, but I, I feel like there's better ways to go around it in, in this situation. And I think that having a player who is the kind of not just caliber, but like someone who's going to draw attention like Naomi Osaka does, you need to do whatever you can to make sure she can compete in this. I mean, and, you know, maybe maybe in the end, like if she's she's playing well, like she'll be more inclined to give it a shot, uh, you know, being able to talk to the media as the, the tournament goes on. And I, I think it's kind of unfortunate that this this all of this is happening. And um, I certainly hope that, you know, she can get to the point where she feels comfortable with it and that we're not going to just not be able to watch her play because, you know, the, the media aspect i think the mental health thing is always a difficult topic i mean not just not just uh mm-hmm. and just in general but like in sports i mean because yeah guys oh, yeah. guys people like her kevin love those are yeah, people he's, that he's I, a prominent one. those are people that i take seriously when it comes to their mental health issues and and how how much they well kevin love in this case has talked about uh his mental health and the problems that he is, he's dealt with. I mean, but I guess for some athletes, I don't, I don't know if you remember Paul George in the bubble last year. He talked about how yeah. he was depressed, and yeah, I, I was kind of siding with Barkley on that. But but then again, who knows? Maybe Paul George really was depressed. But I was kind of siding with Barkley. Like, no, nah, I think maybe you're just maybe you're just he was just bored because it was a bubble and there was not much nowhere else to go. But maybe maybe Paul George did have. Uh, mental health issues. I don't know. It's always a difficult topic because they make so much money that it's there is kind of a hey, you gotta suck it up kind of thing. You, you your lives are much better than the average person, uh, but at the same time, it's 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 a hard issue. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to forget that like you know these like world famous athletes or celebrities or whatever you know actors, actresses, singers, and that they're they're people too. Um, I think it's easy to forget that when you just know them as like this entertainer, this, you know, rich, famous celebrity. And uh, it definitely adds another complicated layer as a fan where it's like, you know, you in one hand, you want to feel like you're right to say that they they should be, you know, in a better spot than you. But at the same time, they always say money can't buy happiness. And, uh, you know, we all we all struggle with things. And, you know, just because we're we're rich and famous doesn't mean that we don't have, you know, difficult things going on in our lives. So, um, all right, I guess, uh, let's, uh, let's get ready to wrap this up with a couple non-sports topics. So one of them is Nickelodeon has announced another SpongeBob spinoff series, the Patrick star show, which, uh, it's going to premiere on Nickelodeon and Paramount plus in July. Basically it's a talk show hosted by Patrick star with the support of his family. Ryan, you're a huge SpongeBob fan. How yes, excited but, are you to watch this? But no, <laughs> I love SpongeBob seasons one through three. I, I can reference SpongeBob better than anyone. F- pay, find me someone that can, because I doubt you oh, could. I, I don't know anyone who can. I could, I can still reference it to the state. You can have entire conversations just over SpongeBob. Memes. Oh, I do. I, I, I <laughs> you have one for everything. I, I, I can. I literally have a SpongeBob me for any situation. And I can come up with it on the fly, but yeah, but but this yeah. though, no, I'm not interested in this. Anything after season three is just is 
not relevant to me. I mean, maybe the movie, the the movie that came out in 04. Oh, I, definitely. After relevant. after that though, that's like that's the end for my SpongeBob fandom. I mean, season four and it was like okay, it was fine, but yeah, I mean, I could, it, you could tell off, the decl- it wasn't immediate. You could tell the decline was happening, and now it's like it's it's completely irrelevant to me. Yeah, it, well, it was Every, once Steven Hillenburg stopped being involved. Um, yeah heavily with the series right. and so one one controversy i've heard about this show as well as camp coral which had you heard of that that's another you know spongebob spinoff that is it's like spongebob patrick and sandy as babies um, i think they showed that one that, just came out a few months ago didn't they show that during the playoff nickelodeon game between the they saints probably and the bears. did i don't like remember half time yeah. they showed that i i, I swear I'm that sure. they showed a there was a clip of it when i was watching a football game or some some something sports related yeah I, I mean it would make sense for them to advertise it then because i know it came out in march but uh it's something like apparently steven hillenberg has had long said that he never wanted a, a spin-off series of spongebob that you know he felt like it was inevitable but he was like that's that's how you know that it's it's run its course and it you know people well, i would just do what he ideas. says even though he's not with us he's, anymore, yeah well, of course, that's but the thing like, is now that even he's dead even, they're just even passing his... i would still follow up with that oh he said not to do this then he's the creator there's a lot there's a lot of money still to be made from spongebob even though it's you know 22 years old now but it's uh i i do understand that frustrating side of it and i don't know i i i I kind of like the concept i think it's a fun concept like this idea that patrick gonna host talk shows but uh you know at the same time i'm not gonna watch this show at at my age i'm not gonna tune in to nickelodeon to watch it so I mean, I I can't really say that has much merit to it, so it's odd, odd, odd thing that they're doing. All right, and then one last thing. So Friday, June fourth is National Cheese Day. Um, I didn't. It's a National Donut Day too. It's also National Donut Day. I mean, do you want to do your top five donuts, and I'll do my top five cheeses? Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. I mean, glazed. Uh, uh, chocolate glazed, and then the vanilla frosting ones. Like uh, my my donut. Uh, what about strawberry frosted? Wait, what? Strawberry, strawberry frosted. It's really just glazed and frosted, and then that's it. I I don't like jelly. I don't like most donuts. I don't care for. Okay, so you have your one, two, and three. What's your four? Like no, I don't even know. I got for that. Like I legitimately only like glazed chocolate glazed to an extent, and. The vanilla frosted. Yeah, chocolate frosted? Yeah, it's a, but I prefer the glazed. For vanilla one. frosted. That's it. Yeah. Do you like strawberry frosted? No. What about um, blueberry donut? No. <laughs> I don't like that many donuts. I just <laughs> mentioned fashioned. it just because it's also National Donut Day. Yeah, it that is. Day. That's, and then. I'm trying to get a fifth donut. And then cheese, you. it's really just like Swiss and American, and I don't even know after that. So I'm glad okay, well, I'm glad that I don't have a list for either of those. As yeah, I mean it's I I've thought about this one for a while, so that's why I do kind of want to do this. So for me, number one is mozzarella, mostly because of pizza, but I also really like mozzarella on like a chicken sandwich. I think I think it's very, um, what's the word? Uh, it could be used in multiple ways. Um, there's definitely a word for it. I just can't think of it right now. Um. Yeah, that's my number one. And then number two, I would go with cheddar, which I think is another one that's kind of similar to mozzarella, just in the sense that it's it's great on 
you know, just as a, a slice of cheddar on like a burger or something, but it's also a really good flavor with like Cheez-Its or goldfish or something. Um, my number three, I'm going to go with, I had these. I had a big oh provolone, and I think that's one where it's like I feel like the name makes me think that it's fancier than it really is. But that's probably my favorite that I would go with a steak and cheese, um, definitely over cheese whiz. And American, I knew you threw that out there. It's like I, I, American works on a lot of things, but I don't love the concept of it. Number four, this might be a recency bias, but I'm gonna go with Gouda just because I had I, I've I've had a lot of good like burgers and sandwiches with Gouda, but I recently. Um, had a bacon, egg, and cheese Gouda sandwich on ch- ciabatta bread from uh, Aroma Joe's up at the lake in New Hampshire, and it was so good. So that's uh, recently bias makes that my number four. And then number five, uh, you know, I, I was trying to think of something. The first one that immediately comes to mind is Munster cheese, but I don't really want to make – oh, no, it's Colby Jack, orange and white. I like that one a lot. Um, I'll get that on sandwiches. I'll have it as like mixing Colby Jack to make mac and cheese or something. So yeah, that's my number five. We'll go with that. All right, I'll toss I, on I a graphic. I couldn't I'll, even I'll have... come up with a list for either. Yeah, do you just not eat cheese? No, I love cheese. It's just American, Swiss, cheddar. I forgot to cheddar. But okay. I, I don't. I couldn't come up with an entire <laughs> list and, and break it down for either of them. It's tough. There's so many good cheeses <laughs> out there. Like, if I really thought about it, I'd realize there's so many good ones that I'm missing. Um, ricotta, I like, but I wouldn't put that in my top five. Um, I don't know. I'm not a big pepper jack guy. I don't know. Nacho cheese? I feel like that's yeah, not... Yeah, I, I don't I, even know. I put Is that, that in just my number one cheddar, like Mexican like, thing, so yeah, sure. Yeah. I don't know. All right, that's a that's a good way to wrap up this episode. So we'll uh, we'll certainly be back, like we said, more NBA and NHL playoffs coverage. But uh, that'll do it for this one. So any bold predictions before the next time we record? Who's going to win? Who's going to be eliminated? I, I don't. None of them are bold. <laughs> All the predictions that have come to mind, like none of them are. None of them are bold. Okay. Ruffy on the doll over Djokovic is that bold? Yep. All right, no, then I'll that's, go with that. No, then. That's, that's all right. Yeah, let's let's just say that. Yeah, Nadal, Nadal to beat Djokovic, official prediction of the podcast. So, all right, for my co-host Brian Wells, I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>